Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast by Jim Power and Chris Johns that looks at the major political, economic and financial developments around the world from a uniquely Anglo-Irish perspective. All our podcasts can be found at our Substack site and all good podcast platforms. Hello, Chris. Good to talk. Before we start, just like to say it was fantastic meeting you for dinner in Dublin last night after quite a gap. An interesting evening, very pleasant evening. W- w- welcome back. But I was just taken last night by the vibrancy in Dublin city centre. Well, yes, absolutely. It struck me too. And just it was a Tuesday night. The restaurant was full. The uh, pub that we owned, we owned for a quick half afterwards was um, absolutely jammers and got more full as the evening went on, actually. The vibrancy and the life was, was good to see. It's, it's a stark contrast with some of the UK towns that I know these days. I was actually out and about in London on Monday night. And of course, London's always uh, busy and vibrant and all those good things. I wouldn't you know, describe it as a ghost town or anything. But by London standards, I thought it was quite quiet. So I think there's a contrast between the two capitals. The agenda today has lots to talk about. Again, we have the corporate earnings season in full swing. We have ongoing difficulties with First Republic Bank in California. Dramatic stuff happening with commodity prices. And I think the question there really is how this all feeds into the inflation and interest rate debate over the coming months. Um, I know you, for a change, have loads of statistics to throw out on the commodity side. I think they are pretty dramatic and actually worth stressing. And we're also looking at some data coming out of Europe this morning, consumer data in France and Germany which is interesting as well. And there's lots going on here in Ireland. If we get time, we'll cover it. If not, we'll cover it in the next podcast. But starting off with the 
earnings, the corporate earnings season. We've seen over the last 12 months, lots of concern about global technology companies. Uh, they have been laying off workers and continue to do so. But we saw earnings from Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google, uh, quarter one revenue up 3% and its cloud unit recorded its first profit. Microsoft saw a jump of 7% in revenue. What I found particularly interesting in the context of discussions we've been having in relation to AI, Google described AI as just another shift in a constantly evolving business for them, whereas Microsoft described AI as something dramatic underway. But in a nutshell, corporate earnings we're seeing from those tech companies proving more resilient than had been expected. Yeah, there's lots of things going on in the earnings story. It's not just tech, of course, that's reporting now, but they are regarded by many market participants as the bellwether that will set the tone for where the stock market goes next. And coming into earnings season, the stock market had been at best flatlining, at worst showing signs of weakening in the face of all of these economic recession forecast that you and I have talked about. But last night you mentioned Microsoft and Alphabet reporting and both their share prices was, were up strongly in what we call after hours trading. It remains to be seen what they do when the market opens later today. But we've also had Pepsi, UPS, the delivery parcel company and McDonald's as three other big reporting companies. And they're all reporting upbeat numbers. Now, that's really interesting to me in the particular context of uh, whether or not profit margin increases are being snuck in behind all of these inflation worries, the supply chain and all that kind of stuff that we've been talking about. It's not just about whether tech can hold on to its primacy in terms of the profit story. So far, so good on that. But there's something from uh, the FT today from its Lex column, which is a bit of the FT that looks at things in great detail. The headline says it already. It says, US earnings, strong profits will reignite greedflation debate. Greedflation is precisely uh, that phenomena that I've been wittering on about on recent pods, that some of the inflation that we have seen recently has been about profits going up. It's not been about wages going up. It's not been about oil and gas prices going up. It's about companies sneaking in profit margin increases. And the results from Pepsi, from McDonald's, from General Motors are containing hints of this. And as Lex says, the trio, those three companies that I just mentioned, just mentioned reported strong results for early 23. And they also offered optimism for the outlook for the rest of the year. And, you know, they're showing like for, like sales growth, volume growth, and organic revenue growth, which is a piece of jargon that means that, you know, like for like sales are up. Um, the average General Motors car now sells for more than $50,000. Now in US terms, that's a lot of money for a car. I know it doesn't seem that much, perhaps in an, the Irish context with the heavy taxation of cars that we have here. But uh, another big company, General Electric, big multinational beer moth, has raised its 2023 profit forecast. And as Lex says, critics claim multinationals use supply chain crunches as a fig leaf for discretionary price rises. That's uh, a polite way of saying that they are price gouging. And as Lex says, nominal corporate profits have soared over the last two to three years. And Lex points out quite fairly that the companies themselves 
well, they would say this, wouldn't they, reject this argument. The conclusion, I think, is that the jury is still out. But the basic point that this FT Lex column says is that companies are solving the pricing puzzle to maximise profits and revenues, not units or volume. And I think that means that, yes, we have many sources of inflation, not just one. It's a complicated story. These things always are. But there are three components, basic components. This is oversimplifying a bit to any price rise. And that could be that it could come from wages, which on average is about two thirds of any price. It could come from non-wage costs, particularly commodities, which is a big bulk of what's left. And then there's a margin at the end that is the profit margin. And usually inflation comes from one, two or three sources. And I think that we're getting it from at least two of those sources. And I'll come on in a minute to the third one, that other bit, which is mostly commodity prices. But I do think that as the earnings puzzle begins to be sold or the earnings season get, uh, continues in the United States in particular, my hunch, and it's only that, that companies are either at worst maintaining their profit margins or even sneaking in bigger ones is, is being proved right. It's hard to know just how much of inflation is being caused by that. But it is, I think, interesting that uh, companies are able to maintain their profits, if not actually increase them. It's part of the inflation story. It's a very unwelcome part of the inflation story because it tells us that the competitive landscape, as we suspect from for many different reasons, isn't what it should be. Competition should be driving profit margins down, not up. The fact that profit margins are being maintained and or rising suggests that we don't live in a particularly competitive capitalistic economy. We live in a very rigged economy. Um, I don't know whether you'd agree with that conclusion, Jim, but that, that's mine. One of the things that strikes me is the, the figures we quoted for Alphabet revenues up 3% and for Microsoft revenues up 7%. Uh, these are not, it's not net profit. We're talking about revenue. So revenue continues to grow. And I just wonder how the employees who have been left go from those tech companies are feeling about this. Well, I suppose the company, the companies might argue the reason why we are able to to maintain everything, maintain profits, not revenues. It's revenues that are growing, um, though, you know, so. Yeah, but the profit increase is partly because we're, we're managing our costs. Yes. Yeah, but, 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 but I mean, the basic volume of business continues to grow. Uh, but anyway, that's that's it's 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 an interesting phenomenon. But the other thing I think from an Irish perspective is that this growth in revenue does spell good news for Ireland's corporate tax take for the foreseeable future, uh, because obviously with the one of the big concerns for the corporate profit tax take in this country and the Department of Finance has suggested that up to twelve billion of the twenty two billion we collected. Last year, um, 24 billion expected this year, up to 12 billion of that is regarded as vulnerable. Um, and one of the reasons is because of the problems with the global tech companies. But these earnings results certainly fly in the face of that. I was interested in the comments relating to AI um, in the case of Google, just another shift in a consistently evolving business model. Microsoft describe it as something dramatic underway. Uh, two very different, but I think equally interesting perspectives. Yeah, I think those perspectives reflect the wider debate about AI. Some people think that it is just another smallish evolution in the technology story, and others think 
and I'm in this camp, that it's something quite transformational, quite radical, or at least it, it will prove to be. And I have no idea whether it's right to join these particular dots, but I am struck when I use both Microsoft's and Google's AI chat offering, because remember that these chatbots, GPT in the case of Microsoft and Bard in the case of Google, they're just one aspect of AI. They are not AI. Uh, they're just one aspect of it. Uh, chat GPT is very good to use from my perspective, and Bard isn't actually and they both get things wrong they, they they both get things right but my sense from using both uh, both systems is that bard gets things more wrong more often by quite a long way actually relative to gpt so i have no idea whether that's consistent with a, a proper evaluation of these two systems but it is consistent with what i've seen other people say it's my own experience so it seems to me that bard Google's uh, Google's tech, uh, AI offering is falling behind. And so if you were running a company whose AI offering is not up to speed, is not at your competitor's level, you might be tempted to talk it down, wouldn't you? Indeed, you might just. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th- th- there is a bit of a debate starting here in Ireland in relation to AI and traffic, or, or at least more particularly uh, road safety. Um, there are proposals to introduce AI-driven cameras. So they will, okay, one part will capture the number plate, but the second part will capture whether you are talking on your mobile phone, whether you're speeding, whether you're not wearing your safety belt. So, and then, you know, this will be captured by AI-driven camera technology and will then, you know, go back to a central repository where, fines etc will be issued so we we have the proposal to dramatically improve road safety without the need for any physical bodies on the road to capture this and um it's it's always been argued in relation to Irish road safety that the the rules and regulations in place are pretty stringent but the implementation of those rules and regulations a lot less stringent, largely because of manpower difficulties in the Gardaí. So this is just, I think, another development with AI. Uh, but as is the case, or as is going to be the case, I think with every evolution of AI we see, there's going to be massive popular resistance because I can assure you people will be coming out saying that this is a gross invasion of privacy, etc. So civil liberties people particularly so yeah big brother big brother is watching you exactly exactly and that is one of the things that people worry about with ai one of the threats the headline threat that people always go on about that they shouldn't really because it, it's not at the moment anyway real it is the extinction level threat to humanity and those thought experiments which at the end of res- the end result of which are 5000 people left alive on the planet once ai gets gets involved are all a bit uh, headline grabbing, but the underneath that there are lots of other worries, and privacy probably is at the top of the list of that other worries. This is one aspect of that, but more generally, it's it's the extent to which our data, which has already been hijacked by tech, if you know, we know, we know that everything about us is known by uh, the people that run our PCs and our phones. Uh, but this this, as you say, I've seen that road safety thing and taking pictures of us whilst in our cars and not just seeing whether we're on our phone, but knowing who we're actually phoning. 
Um, it's that that that's been prominent in the UK as well. Um, it's not just in Ireland, Jim. It just shows you the scope of um, AI. And, and it's Chris, just starting, Jim. It's just it starting. starting. Yeah, I agree. Moving back to matters more mundane, in there's a bank in California called First Republic. Um, it was a bank that was highlighted at the time that Silicon Valley Bank got into difficulty and indeed Signature Bank in New York. Its shares were down almost 50% yesterday and they're down over 90% this year. Um, this was a bank that lost $100 billion in deposits on the day that Silicon Valley Bank got into difficulty. And if you remember, a number of the bigger banks decided to place $30 billion on deposit with that bank. Uh, but the, the latest results are poor. So the problems in the bank are pretty dramatic and management is exploring the possibility of divesting up to 100 billion in assets that it holds to try and shore up its balance sheet. So this is another bank getting into difficulty. And of course, we've said since the beginning of this that the banks that have got into difficulty, including including Credit Suisse in Europe, you could say they all have individual unique problems that cause this, that it's not a wider systemic problem in the banking system. Um, and indeed, thankfully, I think First Republic falls into that category as well. Financial markets are pretty unperturbed by it all, but the regulators, um, you know, the, the Treasury, the Fed are concerned about this and they are looking at how this bank is going to be rescued again. Um, you know, will they move to guarantee all deposits uh, will they shut it down and try and get a buyer for it? It remains to be seen, but it's just another indication of stress in a certain part of the US banking system. But as I say, market's pretty unperturbed by it all at this stage. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right to say that this genuinely does look like a one-off, an isolated incident. And you and I have spoken many times in the past about when these banking problems have occurred in California and in Switzerland most recently. It almost behoves regulators and politicians to describe them as isolated incidents and not part of a systemic problem. And we voiced a little bit of scepticism about whether or not that was true. And in this particular case of this particular bank, it does look like it's isolated with one or two caveats. The evidence that it's isolated is that the broader market has not been sent into turmoil as a result of First Republic's problems and other bank share prices, banks that are like First Republic, 
they are not going down in the way that First Republic's share price has gone down. You mentioned some numbers there. And again, this is from today's FT, actually, is that they begin their report on First Republic with an old Wall Street joke, which is, what is a a company, a a share price that falls 90%? It's one that goes down 80% and then goes down another half, another 50%. And that's just what First Republic has done. It's a gag that that says measuring declines with percentages obscures just how awful it actually is. Um, It's down nearly 90% uh, since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. And the focus is on, as you say, its balance sheet. And part of that balance sheet is its deposits base. And it's the deposits are down 72 billion from the end of last year. So they're down 72 billion in the quarter. And they currently stand at $104 billion. That sounds like a lot of money, because it is. Um, but 30% of that $104 billion is emergency money, emergency deposits supplied to it by the Federal Reserve. So it's surviving on government support. You mentioned asset sales. The problem with that, Jim, is that those assets, similarly to SVB, are in things like government bonds. And they are carrying those government bonds on their balance sheet at what we call par, with the prices that they paid for them, essentially. And uh, the actual prices are well below that. And if they do indulge in this asset sale, the losses, which are currently only on paper, and they're not being reflected in First Republic's profit and loss statement, those losses, those paper losses will be crystallized, and they'll have to report them as losses. And we, we're not 100% sure, but it is possible that if, depending on how many that they do sell and how big the loss is that they crystallize, the equity that backs these banks, and this is an important counting concept of just how much shareholder money is, is at risk the shareholders' money could be wiped out. Um, And so it looks like First Republic is um, a serious worry. As as we have both said, it looks genuinely uh, isolated, a one-off at the moment. But one of the things, of course, that will happen if this happens again to another financial institution is eventually we'll get tired of saying that it's a one-off, that this is an isolated incident, and we'll start to worry again about it being systemic must be stressed. We're not worried in that way at the moment. But I do think it's something that we need to keep a very careful eye on. I don't know why markets today in Europe have opened down. Um, it's not It's not much. I might be just describing noise and uh, ascribing far too much information to particular morning's trading. But in the first period this morning, despite those good tech results and the broader profits, positive profit story from the States, which normally would be pushing markets up the day after markets have gone down. Um, It could well be all sorts of things. As I say, it could be nothing, could be a nothing burger. Um, But I do think markets are a wee bit more nervous than perhaps uh, our sanguine comment about First Republic suggests. There's other things going on, but um, it's noticeable that markets have not taken a great deal of comfort from, from both the profit story of the wider market and this, and they may not be that worried about First Republic, but I still think there's a niggle at the back of people's minds. And it's interesting that markets have not been buoyed, so far at least, by the good profit story from the States. Yeah. Chris, we're um, about to move into the month of May. 
uh, from an interest rate perspective, it's an important month. The Federal Reserve is expected to increase interest rates by at least a quarter of 1%. Um, the European Central Bank, the view is, is divided at the moment. Is it going to be a quarter? Is it going to be a half percent? Uh, but it seems certain that the European Central Bank will deliver another interest rate increase. And the central bankers will argue that while headline inflation is coming down, it's largely due to energy prices and that non-energy goods price inflation is still too high, that service sector inflation is still too high, that labour markets are still very tight with upward pressure on wages and so on. That is how those central banks will justify those interest rate increases which appear certain at this juncture. Uh, But if you look at the broad, I mean, I mentioned the fact that headline inflation is falling largely due to energy costs coming down. But there is a pretty dramatic um, evolution of commodity prices underway at the moment, which logically should, should suggest that inflation is going to collapse over the coming months. There is, of course, the caveat about greedflation and the, the widening of profit margins and, and so on. But the commodity price story is absolutely dramatic. It is, Jim. Uh, I'm going to do what you normally do and and talk about a lot of numbers, trying to be accurate about these things. And in the spirit of accuracy, I refer back to what I said earlier on, is that the overall price level or the overall inflation rate is determined by what's happening by three broad things. Wage inflation, non-wage inflation and profit margins. And those are the three components, the biggest of which is wages, The second bit of which is that non-wage component and the the remaining sliver, if you like, is profit margin. I've talked about the way in which I suspect profit margins are at least being maintained, if not increased. That's a contributor to inflation. And the central banks are very worried that the original commodity price inflation, which is that second component that I mentioned, the non-wage thing, that the it all started with commodity price rises, but it spread into the other two components. Now, the hope is that if commodity prices were to come back a bit, that the reverse processes would start. The worry is that once you get this thing started, it doesn't work like that, that the inflation takes on a life of its own unless the central banks kill it. That's the debate they're having. But as you say, there is some hope. It might only be a sliver of hope that commodity prices are going backwards in quite a dramatic way, in ways that I hadn't fully realised until I started looking at the numbers. So it's a good lesson, Jim. Take a lesson out of Jim Powell's book and look at the numbers. Let me just run a few by you. These are year over year. So this is what has happened to these commodities over the last 12 months. A caveat, 12 months ago, obviously, they were quite high because of the Ukraine war. And so it's probably better to look at them over a two-year view. But just consider these 12-month what has happened over one year to these commodity prices? Crude oil down 23%. US natural gas down 67%, two thirds. European natural gas getting down close to 90%. Petrol in the US at least is down 21%. They call it gasoline, of course. Heating oil in the States down a third. Coal in the United States is down 42%. The naphtha price took 25% down. Uranium is down 21%. Propane is down 38%. Methanol down 12%. You can go into the agricultural space. Soybeans down 14%. Wheat is down 41%. Palm oil down 48%. Rubber down 14%. Cotton is down 45%. Oats, important part of your breakfast, Jim, I know, down 50%. 
Wood, which for me is is a real key indicator for what's going on in the economy, actually. Wood, or lumber as they call it in the States, is down 65% over the course of the last year. Milk prices in the US, at least, if not here, are down nearly a quarter. And I could go on. There are just lots and lots of very big numbers. It's not all commodity prices, but um, there's there's others. There's key ones for, say, the car industry. Lithium is down 70% over the year. It's a sliver of hope. But given that this inflation all started with commodities, particularly energy, I think those numbers might be a source of comfort. Of course, it may well be that inflation has become autonomous and has now got nothing to do with commodities and everything to do with wage inflation in general and service prices in particular, and also profit margins, which is why interest rates are going to go up again. But I do think that on the face of it, these falls in commodity prices, which are very dramatic, much more dramatic than I had realised, and much more broadly based than I had realised, is potentially a good news story. I, I totally agree because you make the good point that this inflation problem started with commodity prices and you know that that is now dissipating as a pressure. And indeed, I was, uh, for other reasons, preparing a table, looking at a lot of those commodity prices and how they've performed over the last 12 months. And I was astounded, actually, by the magnitude of the declines we've seen. So I decided, um, okay, that was comparing April 23 with April 22. I then decided I'd go and look at April 23 with April 21. And the declines are not as dramatic, but declines in most cases, nevertheless. So there, there is a fundamental downward readjustment happening on commodity prices. You would expect that to feed through to lower inflation. The, the obvious uncertainty there will be how labour markets perform, because uh, the one thing that we have seen over the last three years really has been, despite all of the global headwinds with COVID-19, with the Ukraine war, with um, rising interest rates and so on, and of course, elevated inflation, labour markets have remained very tight. Most jurisdictions at this stage are dealing with unemployment rates that are close to full employment. And for businesses, the recruitment and retention of workers is a major challenge. Wage inflation is starting to become ingrained in the system. So that's what's going to drive central bankers. But hopefully, you know, what's happening on the commodity price front will eventually feed into what central bankers are going to do. And more importantly, I guess, what inflation is going to do. I noticed this morning that we've had consumer confidence out of France and Germany both are significantly stronger than the markets had expected. And in the case of Germany, conference in April reached a 13-month high. Okay, so it's 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 a it's a good news story for consumers. And I tried to delve into uh, what's driving this. And there's two factors, really. One is income increases. And secondly, it's lower energy prices. So, you know, because that obviously impacts positively on the consumer's pocket, uh, assuming it is passed on. It's it's an important story. You'd, you'd have to think that commodity prices are likely to fall further over the coming months uh, because the trend is your friend at the moment. You know, it's certainly becoming strongly established. Chris, we'll wrap it there, I think. I had loads of stuff to say about Ireland. We've had the housing in it, the latest housing initiatives announced by Dara O'Brien, the Minister for Housing, yesterday. The CSO had some fascinating data releases this week, looking at corporate profitability and productivity and so on, and corporate profits 
Um, I'd love to talk about that in the next podcast. So we'll do that. So listen, great talk again, Chris. Great to meet last night. And uh, I look forward to our next conversation. To our next one, Jim. Cheers, mate. All the best. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.